This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. And today we're talking about underappreciated cookbooks. That's right. So this episode was suggested by listener Chloe, who phrased it as old or underappreciated cookbooks that we like. Yeah, and yeah. we're I think we're interpreting this to mean sort of cookbooks that are too too young to be considered classics, maybe, mm-hmm. but too old to be like the book that people are talking about now. Yeah. So kind of like stuff from the 80s, 90s, 2000s. I noticed that you and I both kind of started around like the mid-90s-ish yeah. Yeah. and worked our way up through, well, approximately the first decade of the 2000s. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm excited for this. This was, this was a great pick. Um, if I sound a little bit uh, like scritchy, scratchy Kathleen Turnery, it's because I have a cold. <laughs> it's not COVID. I took a Binax Now this morning. Wow, Binax Now. Do you want to advertise on our show? Yeah, we would love that. Anyway, Matthew, I want to start with my memory lane. Please do. My memory lane, my like uh, old or, or underappreciated cookbook that I remember from like being a younger person is Molly Katzen's book, Still Life with Menu. And I think yes. Molly Katzen, of course, is well known for, for many books. The Moosewood Cookbook, Enchanted Broccoli Forest. Those are the first two that come to mind. Someone called something like Tuesdays with Moosewood. I'm thinking of like Thursdays with Maury. What, what the hell are any of these there's books like, called? There's Sundays at Moosewood, but I think okay. that one may... Hold on, Matthew. You're confusing things because I think that one may be made by the Moosewood right. Collective. Okay. Not Molly Katzen. But I do like that, that the, the idea that like that uh, Mitch album, like Saccharin book and, and a Moosewood Cookbook like somehow got together. Together. Yeah, they got together and made a cookbook with no saccharin in it. The four the four mooses you meet in heaven, that sort of thing. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Molly Katzen has made many more cookbooks than I think a, a lot of like today's cookbook readers know, because some of her books are sadly no longer in print. Mm-hmm. And one of them that's really hard to get a hold of is Still Life with Menu, uh, which is gorgeous. It's filled with Molly Katzen's extremely like colorful... Uh, cheering artwork. I think a lot of it is maybe done in pastels. Okay. So that's that's the still life part. That's the still life part. And the book is organized in menus, as you may have assumed. But the thing is, is I remember coming across this book just when I was getting interested in cooking. And there was a lot of just right away, there were a lot of menus in this that made me feel like this is what like a good adulthood uh-huh. would be like. So you do know? You, can you think of an example? Um, th- there's a soup in there that I really love, but f- for some reason I'm thinking of a menu. I-, I remember the dessert was some sort of like, like ginger cookie. And the way that the whole, I mean, this all sounds really ordinary now that I'm talking about it, but the way that the whole menu was put together, I don't have a copy of this cookbook. My, my mom has it. Sure. But the way the whole menu was put together, I remember I made the whole menu all the way down to the ginger cookies. And it just, you know, I, I was in high school. And I think I just, I've always felt like a really a, a really good version of adulthood would be kind of the, the version where you're like um, a professor emeritus or something with yes. like, you know, your bookshelves 
and you've got your, you know, your your study or your library where you sit around and you sip your tea or your bourbon and you read all your books. And then like you and your spouse throw these occasional like dinner parties where you make food that is basically out of Molly Katzen's still life with menu cookbook. Professor Emeritus sounds like the best job. And <laughs> right. I understand that it's Doesn't not a it? not a job, but it's like you can you can like kind of wander into work if you feel like it and everyone will respect you because oh, you won prizes and, and published a lot of stuff. Yeah. But you don't actually have to do any work. And you get to read a lot. You get to feel like maybe you've done something good for the world yep. or for knowledge. You're and probably then, collecting a university pension. And you probably have some friends who have like really interesting things to talk about. And so you have them over and you make Molly Katzen recipes and you live well. Oh, this sounds great. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're living in like some, you know, medium sized college town. Yes, exactly. Oh, I'm so glad that, that you get this. I do. Like Grinnell. Yes, exactly. Okay. Anyway, uh, or Oberlin, Ohio. Yeah, uh-huh. Yep, that seems like the way to go. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, Molly Katzen's Still Life with Menu. If you can get your hands on it, it's sold, you know, uh, if you go to biblio.com. Sure. They for sure have it. Anyway, God, what a charming book and uh, what a beautiful life is represented in those pages. Okay. Um, I also have some memory lane, and mine also centers around an out-of-print cookbook. This book is called Pasta Presto by Norman Kolpass. Okay. And this was the cookbook that I brought to college with me uh. and cooked from <laughs> at college once and, like, made, like, like sausage and tomato sauce for, like, everyone who lived in my hall. Okay. Um, was this, like, your freshman year? It was my freshman year, yeah. And the kitchens in your hall, I mean, was, the, was there, like, one kitchen per hall? No, there was one kitchen for the whole dorm. And did people actually cook there usually? Rarely. It was not difficult to reserve it for the night that I wanted. Okay. This was this was just like a great, like it had like a hundred pasta sauce recipes, basically. It was like a great beginner cookbook. Mm-hmm. And um, Norman Kolpass was one of these guys who like in the 80s wrote like a ton of single subject cookbooks. Okay. Um, and I think like his, his contributions are like largely forgotten at this point. But like this book meant a lot to me. Oh. When I was when I was a young person, and what happened to it? I don't know where it is now. It's okay. certainly easy to get a used copy. Though. Yeah. Do you think that like your mom had it, and that was how you came oh, upon it? Absolutely, for sure. And we're going to talk about some more Judy Amster influences okay. later on the episode. Oh, this is so fun already. Okay. Uh, okay. Should we just take turns, kind of going back and forth? Yeah, let's do it. And I realized as I I stood in front of my bookshelf and and pulled off the books that I I chose for today and strangely i pulled them off in chronological order like like so i as i took them down off the bookshelf and jotted them into our agenda for today and then i would go to the copyright page and look at the um the the publication date i pulled them off the shelf in chronological order so you're saying you're a wizard i'm saying i'm a wizard harry Like a like a chrono like like a wizard that fucks with time. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm like, which I, I think is called a chrono wizard. Yeah, I think I've got uh, maybe I've got like the uh, like the time turner that Dumbledore gave Hermione. Yeah, or, like uh, or was it McGonagall? I don't know. Who knows? That was a long time ago. Okay, even even by time turner standards, but like like if you could fuck with time. <laughs> Like, say you could. If like, I could turn back time, if you—that's what I'm asking. If you could turn back time, if okay. you could, if you could find a way, is that how? It yeah. Goes? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's. I that's mean, my I'd probably question. take back those words. Okay. That I, I have on. another question. Yes. Do you believe in life after love? <laughs> All right, Matthew. Do you want to go with your book first, or <laughs> shall I go? I'll go. Okay. 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 Uh, let's let's continue the uh, the the Judy Amster narrative arc. Perfect. Because. I remember her at some point, like, I don't know what the circumstances were. And I think she had, like, probably cooked from this book, like, for me when I was a kid. But, like, gave me this book and said just, like, this is one of the best. And I have I've had it in my collection ever and, since and, and have made so many things from it. And there is something about your mother in particular that when she says this is the best – I believe her. Like, I don't know that my mom says that about very many things. I don't know that my mom has ever presented anything to me that way. But I can totally imagine your mom doing that. And I just, I would be utterly convinced. Yeah, and I should say, like, I grew up in a house up full of literally thousands of cookbooks. Because you're, you're, we should, I don't know, does the listener know... I mean, I think some do and some don't. Okay. Um, Judy Amster, Matthew's mother, 
is legendary, I would say, among um, food, the food book appreciating world of Seattle for having thousands of cookbooks. Yeah, she so she is a cookbook collector and consultant, and she she will uh, always say like people assume that means like she must be a great cook, and she is a very good home cook. But like that's not the point of cookbook collecting. The point of cookbook collecting is you love cookbooks, uh-huh. um, and so you know people will will like ask her for help. Like I need a, I'm looking for this cookbook that I remember from when I was young or like I need some books on this subject and she can produce them often just like from books on her shelf. It's crazy. So the book that we're talking about is Cucina Simpatica by Joanne Killeen and George German of the Al Forno restaurant in Providence, Rhode Island, which I've been to a couple of times. I'm pretty sure that we have mentioned the, at least the baked pasta from that on episodes before. Very springy baked pasta. It'd be perfect for this time of year. Yeah, so... This is, it's an Italian cookbook from an Italian restaurant, but it is very, it has a real point of view and like it really does like feel like of the early 90s, -hmm. but like all of the recipes still hold up beautifully. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, George German passed away a few years ago, but they were, they were the originators of grilled pizza, first of all. Okay. Um, like just just every recipe in the book is just like, you know, oh, that's what I want to eat and that's what I want to eat. And they're very simple, but, you know, just like like there'll be just like a little twist in each one that just makes it like the right version of that recipe without ever being smug about it. Ugh, I love that. OK, well, my my the first book chronologically from my collection of of underappreciated cookbooks. Wait, hang oh, on a second. Yes. You know what? One of like one of our first interactions, I feel like, was related to Cucina Simpatica because really? when you was when you posted about sausages and grapes. Oh, on, the Molly. It was a Molly Stevens recipe. Oh, okay. But is it also in? It's also in Cucina Simpatica because I think I commented oh. and, and said like, "This is how I make it from Cucina Simpatica," and you replied to my comment. This was this was like way before we started the show. Really? Yeah. Oh my god! Oh, that's so fun. Okay, okay, oh, that's great. Uh, all right, the first book that I want to talk about is called "Fresh from the Farmer's Market" by Janet Fletcher. I'm so glad you mentioned this book. Oh, do you know this book? I do. Okay, so this book was put out by Chronicle Books in 1997. I think I probably picked it up because I had just moved to California to go to college, and so the first newspaper food section that I developed an attachment to was the San Francisco. Chronicle, like Wednesday food section. Sure. Because that was like where I was when I was 19. And I finally lived in a city that had a food section. So anyway, Janet Fletcher was at the time a regular writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. Right. And she came out with a book that year, Fresh from the Farmer's Market, which was like just to me, it felt like this was one of the first of its kind. I think so. Yeah. Um, You know, in the sense of really doing the whole farm to table thing. And it was organized seasonally. It has not only recipes, but, uh, you know, information for choosing these particular seasonal vegetables and fruits. It is in that like uh, that style of fully glossy paper, not just the photos, but everything in here is glossy. I think there's probably only one recipe in here that I still make today. It's the braised chard with chickpeas. Nice. And uh, is that wait, is that is that like uh, the basis of beans and greens? So this is a different. So I have two different beans and greens. Okay. The thing I call beans and greens is a Molly Stevens recipe all right. from All About Braising. This is slightly different. It's a little drier. Um, almost more like a like a side dish, whereas beans and greens can be kind of like a stewy full meal. Anyway, I make this all the time, like dozens of times a year. And even though it's just this one recipe from this book, I, oh, yeah. I, I will keep this book forever. I mean, it has just so many good ideas. Uh, one of the books I'm going to mention later is a book that I've almost never cooked from that's just like a wonderful reading cookbook. This book just makes me, oh, I've made this, Pasta Shop's Roasted Eggplant Salad uh, from the Pasta Shop in Oakland, California. Just, you know, it's like a version of Ratatouille, basically. Anyway, um, I love this book. I have had it since I was 19 or 20. It just, I, I feel like it is more emblematic of who I was then than who I am now. But 
God, what a fantastic book. I, I don't know if it's still in print. I don't either, but I have a funny story about this book that uh, like I've probably told on the show before, but really? I was like it's a it's a goofy little story. Yes. Okay. Um we went and saw Janet Fletcher um at, when she was on tour, book tour for this book. I think at like doing a demo at Admiral Thriftway, which is now Metropolitan Market in West, in West Seattle. Seattle. Okay. Um and I'm sure we, we like we might even still had a car at this point. I think we did, so we probably drove over to West Seattle. And the reason that we first I first heard about Janet Fletcher, this was this was I think yeah, this was like before I like I was just getting started in food writing and the reason that I uh, heard about her was because we were big fans of this band, The Loud Family, uh, okay. that was a 90s rock band. Okay. Uh, and like uh, had was a kind of a cult band that was never very popular, but had very devoted fans. And so if you were a, a, a fan of the band, you would probably get to meet the band at some point. And we did. And their bassist, Kenny Kessel, like asked me, like, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a, a food writer, <laughs> which I was like trying to be at that point. He said, oh, my sister's a food writer. You should you should look her up. Was it Janet Flynn? And it was Janet Fletcher. And I'm like, oh, 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 I see. Your sister's like a real food writer. Uh, and like she had just come out with this with this book. And so we went and saw her and like very awkwardly we were like, we know your brother. Um, and But we think your book is great too. Oh my God, I love that. And she, she did a, like a cheese plate book also. Right? I think she did. I mean, she was a big name in yeah. my, in, in, like my in the culinary Bay Area education. Especially, I think. Yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah, so that's my story. Oh, great. Okay, you're next, Matthew. Okay, I've got another 90s Italian book okay. for you. It's uh, The Campagna Table by Mark Straussman. Okay. Um, and Mark Straussman was the uh, chef, and I think still is a chef in New York, um, might be retired by this point, but he was the chef at a restaurant called Campagna that was a rustic Italian restaurant in the West Village, East Village, somewhere downtown-ish, and... Maybe the, maybe Gramercy Park. Anyway, uh, he um, like really did just like like the the most like quintessential like just rustic Italian like pastas and roasts and uh, and antipasti and just put together this this beautiful uh, simple Italian cookbook. It's like and, and and Lori and I would go to this restaurant. We went like several times. Like went for our anniversary. It's mm-hmm. where we first uh, tasted Moscato d'Asti, which we oh. thought was like the greatest. Oh, God, um, that's so. Oh, I and, love it. Uh, and, and yeah, and it's just like there, there is nothing, there is no revolutionary recipe or technique anywhere in this book. It's just like a great, you know, Italian cookbook with a lot of personality. Okay. Do you still have it? I do. <gasps> Where is it? Oh my god! I've looked at the spine of this so many times yeah. while we've taped episodes. And like <gasps> one of like like to give you an idea of oh like what gosh, kind of even, stuff is in this book. Hold like up, his, even the layout of this oh, is so nineties. So nineties. His signature recipe, like the one that that uh, uh, that people would like, you know, ask him for the recipe for, was uh, the uh, penne aop, uh, which stood for. Aglio, olio, pomodoro. So it's so it's penne with with uh, garlic, oil, and and uh, and tomatoes, and that's that's the recipe. Amazing. <laughs> I also just love the late '90s quality of oh, these yeah. photos. Oh wow, this regrettable light. Yeah, it's it's a terrific book. Ah, oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, like like the lighting on this on this photo is is not correct, but it's just right for for it the is. context. Right, it is. Okay, well, Matthew, my next book doesn't even have color photos in it. Okay. Would you like to describe for the listener? Oh, I know this book. How yeah. many tabs or how many like torn up bookmark pieces of paper I've got in here? Yeah, like the the little <laughs> the little like uh, you know, homespun bookmarks that you put in. It looks like after like a strong man has ripped a phone book in half. <laughs> This book looks so messed up. Uh Okay, so this is a book that I think I bought after I had lived in Paris with that host family. So this book is called Parisian Home Cooking by Michael Roberts, a name that I I just I feel like his name was already passing out of the food world when I bought this book. Can I look at the bio? So Michael Roberts. So Michael Roberts published this book in 1999. Matthew, who is he? Tell us who he is. Oh boy, um, he uh, he moved to Paris in uh, 1975, where he worked and went to school, earning a uh, certificat d'aptitude professionnelle from the prestigious École Supérieure de Cuisine Jean Ferrandi. Michael Roberts pioneered what is now known as California cuisine at Trump's, his late landmark Los Angeles restaurant. I'm going to say I think it's unrelated. You think so? I think so. I I don't know. I hope hope so. 
Uh, during that period, he was selected one of the 50 who's who of food and beverage in America. His work has appeared in Bon Appetit Gourmet. Yeah, like I could not tell you like one other thing about Oh, no, Michael I know nothing else about this man. But anyway, this book, Parisian Home Cooking, I saw it on a table somewhere probably two to three years after it was published. So I think I got this book in 2001 or 2002. Anyway, I, oh, wow. I What's have, that? Oh, this is some sort of <laughs> t- tucked in here is a um is like a political tract that was handed to me on the street on the first of May two thousand two okay, in Paris. I love, can I read the headline? Yeah. The headline of this is no, no, and no. <laughs> Okay, so so the first of May is like uh, Labor Day, like a workers' day. May Day. May Day. Um, anyway, and I was clearly handed this, and and did you heed the call to action? I don't think I did. Okay. Anyway, but I love that I've kept that in here. That's wonderful. Okay, yeah. So. Oh, the layout of this book too. The, the oh, layout wow. of this book is so like gloriously late nineties. Yeah, this is ninety nine. This has no color photos in Wait, it. Wait, did we say the name of the book? Yes, Parisian okay. Okay. Home Cooking by Michael Roberts. Oh, here is a recipe for sauté de mori et de haricots verts. So green that- beans and morels. Okay, I made it in August of two thousand five and said it was delicious. Sounds good. What the heck was I doing buying morels? Uh, okay, glazed Brussels sprouts and shallots. I made this all the oh, time. Sounds good. It was fantastic. You you cook Brussels sprouts in a little bit of sweetened water and butter in a skillet. Yes, I love that technique. Until yes. the, the water is gone and you're kind of shaking the pan, glazing the Brussels sprouts in the sort of caramelly residue. Yes. Oh, oh my God. Okay. A recipe I wrote about on Orangette was in here. Um, whole roasted cauliflower with vinaigrette. Yep. This is extremely time consuming. It and just says very uh, May, May 2002. Excellent. That's what you wrote. <laughs> I wrote it in English. I know. Well, how do you know? Okay. Now, but the really important thing is that the, the vinaigrette that I make and keep on my kitchen counter Every day of the year, uh, now 20 years at least after buying this cookbook. Oh, yeah, we talked about this, that you have some uh, vinaigrette that's been (laughs) aging for 20 years. Anyway, the vinaigrette recipe that I use is based on Michael Roberts' vinaigrette in this book. And I still make it. I will probably spend the rest of my life making it. And I love that. Anyway, this cookbook is fantastic. It is so solid. And I think part of what drew me to it is that I had just been living in a like a, the home of a very good Parisian home cook. And I I recognized like the truth in this book, yeah. which is that this was how, at least at that time, 20 some years ago, home cooks were doing it up in Paris. And it was... It, I love God. how the French title of the recipes is in like a super curly script font. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Duck legs. I saw duck legs go veal by. Veal shanks with bread sauce, parsley yes. veal. I mean, a lot of wow. stuff in here that I never Rolled made. shoulder of lamb. Oh, here Roasted we go. Roasted turnips with sage sounds good. Okay, here we go. I, I did not like Michael Roberts' warm lentils. I said very tasty, but too mustard heavy. Okay. Very saucy. Anyway, this book is just fantastic, and it makes me happy to even just look at me it. T- it makes me happy just to like look over your shoulder flipping through God, it. Yeah. Isn't it great? It's great. Okay. Okay. Uh, my next pick is The Dim Sum Dumpling Book by Eileen Yinfei Lo. And Eileen Yinfei Lo, who I think may be still alive but very old, okay. um, has publi- published many classic Chinese cookbooks, um, including um, the – what's it called? The, the title The title was like a tribute to the Julia Child. So it was the uh, – Mastering the Art of Chinese Cooking was was the title of like oh, her magnum Oh, Mastering the Art of French yeah. Cooking. Um, and, but uh, the Dim Sum Dumpling book is just like a very straightforward book on like how to how to make your your favorite dim sum items. Okay. Um, with a with a focus on dumplings and. It is uh, it is a book that I've cooked like a few recipes from and have just like that one perfect one, which is her potsticker dumpling recipe um, that uh, I still make a very slightly um, adapted version of to this day. Like anytime I want to make homemade potstickers, that is the recipe that I make. Uh, it's very simple. You've given me that recipe. 
recipe. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, around this time last spring, I wanted to make some homemade dumplings and you sent me that recipe. Yeah. And it's just like so flavorful, so straightforward to make. And you can like use it as if the the filling is the key thing. You can use it as a filling for like, you know, crescent shaped pot stickers or uh, or for shumai or whatever you like. And uh, it's just like one one perfect recipe that will always be with me. But it's it's a beautiful little book, too. And you can, again, it's out of print, but you can find a used copy for not too much. Okay. This next one, uh, you know, there there is nothing underappreciated about Dory Greenspan, my next author. True. However, uh, this book, I think that what people tend to, to know Dory Greenspan for now are these, like, big, comprehensive books. Sure. Like- you know, Cookies or um, her one on, on, like, savory French cooking. Right. But this book... Paris Sweets. Yes. Oh, wow. Again, the, uh, the cover is so of its time. God, I love this book. So this is Paris Sweets by Dory Greenspan. Came out in 2002. And, and Dory was already, you know, big stuff by then. But this is like a really kind of small book that includes, well, now I think a lot of things that are quite mainstream. But at the time, it was very French in a way that I don't know... How many American like there were, you know, things like savory crackers or cakes in here. Sure. And I don't know that that had quite the currency that it yeah. does now. Thanks to Dory Greenspan, of course. She's the one who has brought it, uh, who has made those things more kind of normal. Anyway, it, it also has uh, like little hand drawings. Are these or yes. watercolors? God, what, it what? has these really charming little hand Yes, definitely uh, yeah, watercolor. Some kind of art. Kind of art. <laughs> anyway, it profiles a number of bakeries. Oh, here's a Whole Foods receipt from August of 2003. Wait, does that say punishments? Is that is that a recipe? That's right. So if you go to Poilen, if you go to Poilen in, in Paris. Which um, I have. So, you know, the little sugar cookies they give you, um, you can buy there. And they also give you one each time you buy bread there. Anyway, they're called Punition. Would you like to know more about that receipt? Because I'm realizing something really interesting about okay, that Okay, can receipt. I tell you a little bit about what's on it first? Yeah, but this... hold on. Can I tell you? Yeah, Wait, okay. Do you notice that some of the, the items are circled on this I receipt? I figured these are the, these are the ones you were going to, like, deduct these are the ones that that I purchased for my boyfriend at the time. Oh, and we lived together, Matthew. But we used to go through our grocery lists and like separate out the things that only one of us ate, and then we would like reimburse each other for them. Oh, cool! I hate that. God, it was I was like <laughs> such a horrible person. It was terrible. Who lives that way? Oh God, it's so embarrassing to remember. Uh, but okay, go uh, on. French French baguette misspelled uh orange juice pocket pita german mustard bulk olives bag refund thanks for bringing your own bag uh <laughs> hummus almond butter brown rice uh, red seedless grapes this was from uh, august 4th 2003 so my boyfriend was vegan mm-hmm. and i was going through an almond butter phase those are the things that i'm i'm taking away from okay this. okay Back to Paris Sweets. Yes. This book is fantastic uh, for anyone who is interested in uh, in French baking. These are classics. I'm sure that you can find these recipes in other Dory Greenspan books. You know, for instance, there's some Pierre Hermé recipes sure. in here. She wrote a whole book with Pierre Hermé. Uh, and it, was, it was called I Know Pierre Hermé. And you can too. <laughs> Oh, God, I remember I made a galette des rois. I know that name, but I can't really picture what it is. So you would make it on epiphany. Sure, I always do. (laughs) You use puff pastry, you make pastry cream, and you make basically frangipane. Okay. And so the cake is like, it's round. It's one layer of puff pastry on the bottom, a mixture of pastry cream and frangipane in the middle, and then another layer of puffed pastry on top, which you've kind of cut almost like the spokes of a wheel into. So the whole thing is gorgeous and burnished, kind of this big disc-shaped cake. I love burnished discs. Anyway, oh my God, I made the whole thing from scratch. It was my first time making pastry cream, my first time making frangipane, and I made this in grad school, and I thought this was like, this was how I spent my free time. Think, uh, keep this recipe in mind when we get to the spilled mail for today's episode, because I think it's going to be germane. Okay. Also, great chocolate mousse recipe in here, and great hot chocolate. 
Um, speaking of chocolate <gasps> mousse, this, this has nothing to do with the the topic, but um, Lori has been cooking from the book. Uh, I'm sorry, I should say wife of the show, Lori, has been cooking oh, from from the book uh, 100 Cookies by Sarah Kiefer. Oh, um, I've heard great and, things about uh, just that. Just made the mud pie bars, which okay. are which are a bit of a production because they're a layered bar with like a, a uh, crumb crust layer, a chocolate crumb crust layer, a chocolate cake layer, a chocolate mousse layer, and then a whipped cream layer. Okay, but they are so good. They, do we, we, do you have like, any in the house? We do not. We ate them all, but uh, <sighs> they will be made again. Okay, great. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. All right, Matthew, what's your next pick? My next pick is uh, another Chinese cookbook, Helen Chen's Chinese Home Cooking. And this, like... I think more than any other book on this list was like the book that I learned to cook from. Mm. And like it it is out of print. Mm-hmm. The recipes like you know it was it was the mid 90s and this was a a book for a a non-Chinese audience and so there were like you know some compromises in the recipes that I think wouldn't be made today just a little bit but it is it really uh, like focuses on like Chinese American restaurant cooking with some like actual Chinese and Chinese American home cooking mixed in Do you still use it? I don't still use it but I know that like the the way I approach like improvising a stir fry absolutely comes from this book okay. Like everything about the the thing I would say about this book is just it's simple. Like the layout is simple, the recipes are simple. Like I think it would still be if like you wanted to learn to cook Chinese at home, like this would still be a great place to start. Fantastic. And it came out in 1996? 96, yeah. Okay, great. I think I think there may have been that may have been like the paperback edition and there was a, a the hardcover was like the year before, so like mid 90s. Okay. Uh Matthew. And I don't even still have it, but I am still influenced by it like every day. Um, I love that we have on our lists here Chinese home cooking and Parisian home cooking. Oh, yeah, that's funny. This seems this seems right. All right, what do you got? Now, I know you know this author I personally. Do, yes. yes. Okay, we both do. So uh, this next book is Southern Cakes by Nancy McDermott. Mm-hmm. I first met Nancy McDermott, I believe, at Greenbrier. So did I. So there used to be this like really fancy food writers symposium that took place at the Greenbrier in West Virginia every I year. I bet Janet Fletcher was there sometimes. I bet she was. Anyway, uh, Greenbrier, gosh, they stopped doing it at least 10 years ago. Yeah. But you and I both went uh, earlier in our careers. It's it's held at uh, the the um, West Virginia Resort where there's like an underground bunker that was supposed to be like where the government would go in the event of nuclear war. The whole place was uh, I've never been anywhere it's, like that. Yeah, it's I I keep wanting to call it weird, which feels unfair, but it's weird. It it is weird. It is weird. I mean, also like just this kind of like uh, like southern extravagance. Yeah, like I'd never seen anywhere else. And the year that I went, they had just built a casino there. Oh. Oh, wow. They that were was, trying oh, to boy. like bring the Greenbrier really into the like the 21st century, I think, or really appeal to like a Vegas crowd right. in West Virginia. Anyway, okay. But at Greenbrier, I met a whole bunch of, of food writers, and one of them was Nancy McDermott. God, if I didn't meet her there, I'm very confused. I'm pretty sure I met her there. Why wouldn't you have? Anyway, Nancy McDermott wrote this incredible book um, called Southern Cakes. This, too, was published by Chronicle Books, like Janet Fletcher's book. And um, I have only made a couple of things from it, uh, one of them being the sweet potato pound cake, which is like off the chain. It is worth the price of the book, the sweet potato pound cake. God, it's so good. I want to pound some of that. I know. Anyway, this book is a classic. I mean, I I think that everybody who enjoys baking like uh, American cakes 
needs to have this book. I, I feel like, I don't remember what year I went to Greenbrier, but it was around the time she was working on this book. And I remember, I think that she was very excited about it or that she'd finished it and it was about to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you could tell that this was like just the book that she always wanted to write. Cause, because prior to that, she was best known for uh, writing Thai cookbooks. Oh, she was? Yeah. Wait a minute. She, oh, she lived in Thailand for a yeah. number of years, didn't she? She's from North Carolina. Right. Anyway, I, I, I don't know what she's up to these days, but this book, wow, this for me stands the test of time. We should I send her it. a message and say hi and, and that we mentioned her book on the show. We should. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. My next pick is, uh, is also kind of a single subject book. It is 50 Chowders by Jasper White. Oh my gosh, Jasper White. Yes. Uh, who uh, is like, he's a, his place is in Maine. Is that right? That's right. Um, I mean, and, I think. Uh, no, Boston. Whoops. He's, but I think he's from Maine, but I might be confusing him with John Thorne. I don't know. Anyway, New England, all right? Fine. Uh, so so he's, a, he's a chowder expert, uh, and is, his best-known recipe is his lobster and corn chowder, which I think I did make once. That is very good. But this is a book. It's a book of 50 chowders. And, like, do you need a book of 50 chowders? No. But every time I make a recipe from this book, the family is like, you should make more chowders. So tell me one that you've definitely made from this a couple times. So I just made a simple chicken chowder recently. I would with, never even think to make chicken yeah, chowder. What makes it chowder? So it's got, it's got uh, like, you know, shreds of chicken. It's, it's got chicken stock, potatoes. Potatoes okay. and cream or milk, I feel, are what makes, makes yes. it a chowder. Not that every chowder has milk, but, but a lot of them do. Okay. Um, and it's, it's like... It, the book is it's it's beautifully written. Um, it's fun to read, even if you're not cooking from it. And but when you do cook from it, like you learn like a whole approach to this dish that you maybe have never even really thought about. Maybe thought of chowder as like you know like a thing you get like clam chowder as a side somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've made the clam chowder several times, and it it is a production because you start with whole clams and you steam them, and then you ch- uh, chop them, and then you make the chowder. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> first, like because we're in Seattle, which like there is a pr- one kind of clam that's common in Seattle, mm-hmm. but it's not the best kind for making chowder yeah this is not clam clam country right um i mean i mean it's like razor clam country and gooey duck country and there is a gooey duck chowder in here and i okay. have made gooey duck chowder for an article that i wrote you many have? years ago yeah and well, you use the belly of gooey duck yeah. for that right not the siphon right okay um and any anyway like the the recipes are wonderful like you will learn all about like a whole a whole food culture that surrounds chowder like the, the which kinds of crackers you serve with it or like uh, cornbread or rolls and but yeah just like every time I make it and one thing I love about making a chowder from this book is he he stresses that it's important to let it cure which just means sit for at least half an hour before before you eat it and like a chowder the next day is also great but it's great to like make dinner set it aside on the back <sighs> burner literally and uh, just take a break and then dinner is ready and it's it's fantastic. I love the thought of doing that, especially with something like I wouldn't think to do that with a dish that involves seafood, because we think of yeah. seafood as being something that, you know, you don't want to overcook it. You don't want to let it sit too long or. Yeah. Chowder, chowder is just a different approach. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I really want I, I want to take a couple of recipes from that and make them. Yeah, no, really. The chicken chowder I made the other day was so simple and the family was like, you need to make this again. Okay. I'm going to take a picture of it before I leave. Yeah. Okay. Uh, The last book I'm going to talk about is one that I've talked about on the show before. And this is a a very uh, recently published book. Oh, yeah. This is going to be the newest book on on the show. Yeah. This is the newest book on this episode of the show. But um, anyway, this book... Listeners, I know you've heard me talk about it before. This is called Repertoire by Jessica Badalana. She's originally from Maine, I believe. She lives in Maine now, but for a long time she lived in San Francisco. She so this this is a book of home cooking, and that is the whole idea that uh, you know that uh, that home cooks have repertoires, and this is Jessica Badalana's recipe or repertoire of tried and true delicious stuff. Yeah, and it's kind of all over the place in terms of um, country of origin of these dishes. Sure, but I have to say, uh, so full disclosure, I I went out and bought a copy of this book because I know Jessica. That said, I did not have to keep it on my shelf in the prominent place that I do. <laughs> and the way I, you've, you've like tagged some of the pages, it looks like like shark fins coming out of the top does, of the book. I it like does. it. I've got these heart-shaped um, sticky notes oh. that June got somewhere. 
Very cute. So anyway, okay, uh, my cacio e pepe recipe, I always make the one from here. She's also got a recipe that is influenced by like Vietnamese caramel pork type dishes. She calls it candy pork. God, it is fantastic. She makes a wonderful, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, we made a great. That's a lamb ragu. That's my kind of thing. There is a lamb ragu in here. Yeah. Lamb ragu with creamy polenta, red chili braised beef. We made these vermicelli noodles with lemongrass pork meatballs. Anyway, I have cooked so much stuff from this book. It's just fantastic. Even her recipe for basic black beans. Nobody needs a recipe for black beans. However, when I made these, they were better than my usual black beans. Okay. Yeah, I think like... Oh, oh, wait. I also have to say, I love her hot dog fried rice, (laughs) which is my fried rice template. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. I feel like that is that is like the hardest kind of cookbook to do well. It's yeah. just like, you know, me and my recipes. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, if maybe if it's like a famous chef um, and you're probably not going to make the recipes, but like a home cooking, just like a bunch of recipes. Like, I think that's one of the books that does it best. I really think this book is fantastic. And I I hope that it, it came out in, in 2018. I hope that it has a really long lifespan because it is just one of those where if you cook one recipe, recipe from it. It just makes you feel confident to return to it again and again. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, that's Repertoire by Jessica Badalana. All right. I got one more book, too. Um, and this is a book that I don't know if I've ever cooked from and is not really cooking from it to me is not really the point, although I think it does have good recipes. It is called Isakaya, the Japanese Pub Cookbook by Mark Robinson. Mm. Um, and it is from 2008. And um, I met I met Mark and interviewed him for my book when, uh, when we were in Tokyo in 2012. Oh, I love the pictures, and the photographs. It is. It's from Kodansha, which is a uh, Japanese publisher, um, and it is. It's a beautiful book that, like, there is there is no other book that I can think of that that will like really put you inside yes. like a Japanese bar and make you feel like what it what it's like to eat there, like what it sounds like, what it looks like, what kind of people you'll run into mm-hmm. there, and what the food is like. Uh-huh. And it centers around, I think, like eight eight different bars that are that are the author's favorites and like a deep dive into like the history of, of these bars, like what kind of place it is, what kind of clientele it serves, what it looks like. I think some of them have like like hand drawings of like the layout of the bar, although I might be thinking of a different book. Um, and then a few recipes from uh, from each from each one. Like look at look at this photo. Oh, it's it's I a just photo love just it. of like the texture of the wood and like the coat the coat hanger in the bar. There's no uh, people in the photo. It's just purely artistic. God, I love this. This is a really beautiful book. Yeah, I and mean, Mo- Molly and I have gone to Japanese bars together and it's like just one of like the most unique and perfect eating and drinking mm-hmm. cultures anywhere in the world. Oh, it makes me really miss Tokyo just yeah. thinking about this. So oh. if you if you miss Tokyo like we do, order order a copy of Isakaya, the uh, Japanese pub cookbook. Oh my God, this episode was so fun. Uh, Thanks, listener Chloe. Great, great idea. How about our spilled mail for today? Shall I read it? Sure. All right, so. Our spilled mail today comes from listener Aaron, who says, what's the meal or dish you've made that resulted in the most dishes? Wow, I feel like we we almost touched on this a little bit in uh-huh. talking about chowders and epiphany cake. Okay, for me, sorry, returning to listener Aaron's letter now. For me, this is my annual mince pie extravaganza. I use a pastry bottom crust, but top the pieces with... Oh, how do I pronounce oh, this? Oh, uh, Ricciarelli. Ricciarelli, which are almond cookies. So there are zillions of bowls, spoons, nut roasting pans, etc., to clean on top of the muffin tins, cutting board, and, and the usual baking messes. Plus, I make my own mince filling. So there's dishes from that as well, though about six weeks earlier. And only every other year since the filling makes enough to freeze for the next Christmas. Overall, I think the results, the recipe results in me doing the dishes about four times. Okay. Ah! <laughs> so okay. you already mentioned the king cake, the galette de roi. I'm gonna th- while you're talking, I'm going to think about a more recent example. Okay, because 
when I was thinking about this, I realized there's there's a book that I didn't include in our list of uh, of underappreciated cookbooks, but should have, which is the Italian Country Table by Lynn Rosetto Casper. Oh yes, that's a great book that I've that I've made a ton of things from and like still cook from. And there is a dish in there called uh, potato gateau. It is a ba- like a mashed potato casserole with a layer of cheese and peas in the middle and like bits of salami throughout and then <sighs> and then like topped with breadcrumbs and it is a production uh, <laughs> you you make like these toasted garlic breadcrumbs you make the mashed potatoes you layer them you then you like slice the cheese and and uh, and put the cheese in the peas layer you have to like cut up the salami like it will ruin your kitchen but the good news is it bakes for a while and you you can do the dishes while it's baking and then everything's fine. I feel like every time I make, uh, this is not my example, but just listening to you talk about this, uh, I can well imagine how many dishes there are because even making mashed potatoes yeah. creates more dishes than I want it to. Like there's the colander I pour the potatoes into, then there's the ricer, then there's the, you know, the pot that I originally cooked the potatoes in, which I might return them to, to like reheat them and yeah. mix them with stuff. Anyway. Okay. What I was going to say is, so I believe in 2020 it was, Samin Nosrat published a recipe in the New York Times for, I think, what she called the big lasagna. Yeah. And uh, it was a really sweet premise. Like, the idea was that she was inviting, like, everyone, all New York Times cooking readers, to make this lasagna. And she would hop on a Zoom at, like, (laughs) such and such a time on a Sunday afternoon and, like, would have her lasagna there. And you could all, like, hop on and join the Zoom. Did you? I think we had plans to. I don't think we hopped on the Zoom because... It was on East Coast time, and it would have been like uh, Sunday early afternoon. We should we should do this, but we're, we'll just like eat some like Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, bring your Reese's peanut butter cups. Join us on Zoom. No, anyway, I did make the lasagna, and you know this was God. I feel so like traumatized even thinking back wow. on this period of time. You know, spring of 2020, grabbing at straws for anything that felt like hopeful or non-scary. And I made this lasagna and, you know, you make the tomato sauce from scratch. You can make the pasta from scratch. I think I bought fresh pasta sheets. Sure. You uh, you make a bechamel. You cook, I believe, spinach separately. You make, I think you make a ricotta mixture. Maybe I'm mixing this up with something else. But anyway, it's like a massive production because you're, of course, you're doing it all from scratch and in, in quite large quantities because this is a super tall lasagna. Oh, I, I like that. In a nine by 13 pan. So it's a lot of food. I have made it once or twice since and my whole family loves it, but it nearly kills me every time. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, okay. like I, I stir fry all the time, and uh, like I, I pretty, I have a pretty efficient workflow now for stir frying. But if I'm ever going to stir fry like more than one dish, like things start to get out of hand. Oh yeah, and like I, I think of like you know when you when you like run start the dishwasher like before dinner because of all the the mess that you've oh, made yes. like doing prep, and <laughs> yes. then like can run it again right after dinner. That's what I think we're talking about. Yes. You know what? I just I, I have to share an observation Please. about my cooking during the you know the years of of the pandemic. I think that I got better at cooking multiple dishes at dinner. That's or even interesting. I think serving, I got worse. Really? Yes. Because I have always been someone who um, I am not going to make more than one thing for dinner. So if there's going to be uh, if I'm making a soup, we're just going to have like bread and butter next to it. Yeah. Um, if I am roasting a chicken, well, we're probably just going to have like salad and bread next to it. Like I am in no way going to make multiple actual dishes. But during the pandemic, I think I have gotten better at doing like multiple like side dishes without having it ruin my life. How like how do you think you did that? I think just by having to cook more because the truth is I have a like you I have a a kitchen that is you know not great for cooking multiple dishes yeah. at a time. You and I both have one oven. Mhm. 
And you have a four burner or five burner electric range? You, you've said this before. And, and as I said last time, what the fuck is a five burner range? I've never heard no, of No, I've this. sometimes seen one with a, another, you know, burner in the middle. Anyway, ours is four, like, like normal. Yours is four. As listeners know, mine is four, but only two and a half of them mm-hmm. work. And as listeners know, you do not have a vent fan. And I do not have a, an exhaust fan. Anyway, so it's difficult to cook more than one thing because I only have you know, a kind of um, a a weird janky setup. Sure. No, I feel like for me, it's just the opposite that I used to be better at that and feel just kind of like too stressed out to do it. You know, ever ever since the start of the pandemic, I've just like, you know, one one dish for dinner cooked successfully. That's what I can handle and that's what I can control. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. And like that, if that means like we don't have a vegetable tonight, fine. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, especially in the earlier days when we were really like not going out. Yeah. You know, well, it's so fun to go down the old pandemic memory yeah. lane. Still fresh. Okay, Matthew, do you have a now but wow? I do. Like, can we call Brian Washington friend of the show? <laughs> Let's I, I'm try sure, it. I'm sure he remembers us oh, well. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, former guest Brian Washington uh, wrote a column for the New York Times called I Got Lost in Tokyo Station and Found the Perfect Comfort Food. And it is about the dish uh, Buddha Kakuni, which is uh, like a, a – uh, braised pork belly dish that is popular in Japanese bars. It uh, because it's by Brian Washington. It's beautifully written and goes in some unexpected directions. And also, like for me, like all the places he was talking about in Tokyo Station, I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly where you are. Mm. Oh, and, and did you mention that it's in the New York Times? He's, yeah, it was in the New York Times Magazine. We'll link to it in the show notes. He's now one of the columnists for the New York Times Magazine. It's very so, exciting. Belated congratulations to Brian Washington uh, on landing that gig. Well deserved. Yeah, like every time you read a Brian Washington column, like it's it's fun and you also like learn something about life. Yeah. You know? Oh, he's great. Okay. Our producer is Abby Circatella. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Don't don't make us an underappreciated podcast. <laughs> um, you can chat with other spilled milk listeners on our Reddit. That's reddit.com slash R slash everything spilled milk. Uh, and until next time, uh, thanks you for listening. Thanks you for thanks listening. Thanks you for listening. That's going to be our new catchphrase. Thanks you for listening. Spilled milk, thanks you for listening. <laughs> <sighs> oh, boy. Okay. Uh, no, thank you for... Um, for um, mm-hmm. for, thank you for being a friend. Yeah. Travel down the road and back again. Yeah. Uh, I'm Molly Weisenberg. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton. <laughs> Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.